electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The countdown to the Fed, the taper, and what happens to stocks in the weeks to come. Is a reckoning for the tech trade now the biggest risk to your money? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vingello, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall, check the markets ahead of the Fed. 2 p.m., NASDAQ, another record high today. Closely watching that. It's very much wait and see. Dow's down 70 S&P is a fractional loser. Ten-year note yield, 156. All right, Joe, it's all about today. If we get the taper, if rate expectations are pulled forward, we'll see what happens this afternoon. And we're going to watch rates closely. And we're looking at that tech trade because I'm wondering whether that reckoning that some have talked about happens. I think it does happen, but I think it happens in a very bifurcated way, Scott. So large cap, mega cap technology, where the key, the cash flow generation is in the present. It's the here and now. It's a short duration asset. That'll be okay. But more long duration assets where the, the questioning on when the cash flow is going to be delivered. And when I talk about those names, I'm talking about a lot of the hyper growth technology names. Those are the names that are clearly going to be challenged in an environment where we're pulling forward the rate expectations. So I think viewers of the show should be prepared for that. I'm speaking specifically towards a lot of the higher valuation names that performed incredibly well in 2020. I know, I know what you're uh, talking just about. Just as an example. Yeah, let me, let me list some names because you're on the Chris Harvey train sure. um, today from Wells Fargo. And he's been calling for a reckoning from as you know, far back as the summer for, for tech. Um, he has a new note today. We remain bullish in the, in the very near term, he says, particularly on reopening plays and momentum. However, our trading call on tech may be at risk, especially across, quote unquote, high octane names. You guys are speaking about the same types of stocks. And when he says high octane, I go down the list and say, OK, do we need to worry about a snowflake? 127 times sales. The stocks had a nice run. A sales force. 121 times trailing, 76 times forward. We've got ownership on the desk today. Zscaler, Cloudflare, Fortinet, Workday, CrowdStrike, DocuSign. Not to be so specific to just call out those names, but Brenda, you own Salesforce. So do we need to worry about those kinds of stocks in a rising rate environment, which could, could start today based on what the Fed says? Brenda, I think she's frozen. John Nigerian, why don't you take that same question? All right, Scott. Um, I think uh, Powell is sort of in this really tough spot today. Of course, I mean Chairman Jay Powell. Um, if he dismisses uh, 
inflation fears and inflation that is clearly out there. Everything from gasoline to baguettes in France, which he doesn't have anything to do with, but I was just reading an article on that, Scott, how the prices of these things, because wheat has gone up so dramatically um, that this is uh, filtering its way into all kinds of things Americans eat and, to that extent, drink because of some of the rye products and so forth. Uh, I would say, Scott, if he dismisses that uh, big pop in volatility, then he's going to get the bond vigilantes all jazzed up. And on the other hand, if he doesn't, uh, if he basically does address that, rather, uh, then I think he risks being reappointed because obviously uh, seeing the debt that we've piled on through prior administration, not just this administration, no, I, I you, Doc, but, but that debt being piled on, that is going to be something that could perhaps let, cause uh, the president to not reappoint. Let, let's get Jay to my Powell. question, though. Let, let's get to my specific question, though, Doc. Okay. Of, it, it, okay, we, mm-hmm. we, we think the taper's happening today, right? They're going to announce it. Yep. Um, if rate expectations are, it, are, it'll happen in December. Okay. So if mm-hmm. rate expectations, also rate hike expectations, move forward, and you do begin to have a meaningful, more meaningful rise in interest rates from today forward, can you own the names? that I just mentioned on my list because you own Salesforce calls and CrowdStrike calls and there's a lot of ownership around mm-hmm. that spectrum of the Zscalers, the Cloudflares, et cetera, et cetera. You know where I'm getting at. I want to address that specifically. Well, um, so, and your question directly, Scott, is if we see rates rise more dramatically, I don't think that's what we're going to see. I think we'll see a very gradual rise in interest rates. I think that this taper um, has been uh, uh, basically shown to the markets for months and months. I don't think we're going to be surprised. So I don't think we're going to see a rapid jump in those rates. If we do see that, Scott, then you're right. Then I'll take pain in all of my tech trades. And I've got a lot of them beyond the ones you named. Um, Everything from Apple um, and Amazon to Facebook Um, and Microsoft, they will all get hurt if we see that rapid jump in rates. I am not predicting that. I think it'll be a very slow rise in rates. Um, And if that's the case, I think we're in a sweet spot right now. But again, that remains to be seen. All right. Brenda, I think you're unfrozen, I hope. Uh, And I hope you could at least hear my question. Um, So you've got ownership in, in this area. Are you concerned? We do. And, you know, it's an interesting conundrum because I think if we did get rates that were raised much faster than anticipated, and I agree with John, this Fed has been incredibly transparent. I I think it's a highly unlikely scenario. But if it were to happen, there could be a potential growth scare that it's too much too soon. Um, So in that case, I actually think you could see a rotation back to some of the growth names. But I will say for names that we own in this high growth category, names like Salesforce, which we still continue to really like, you know, you have to look at these these companies. One, it's um, huge barriers to entry, high switching costs, um, a lot of pricing power and tons of recurring revenue. I think there's a reason why they're going to trade at a high multiple. And I think they're going to maintain a premium, even in a scenario where we do see interest rates rising. Although I agree with John that it's likely to be a slower rate rise and the Fed's likely to wait and see what happens with inflation in the late, in the late spring, early summer of next year before really um, we're really starting to, to raise rates. But again, if we did get a surprise, I, I, I do think... Um, 
overall, it, it could be a growth scare that actually comes out of it. All right. So, uh, so, so Weiss, John just, just said that all of tech is going to go down if rates start to go up. I mean, he lumped Apple and Facebook in with some of the high flyers that, 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 yeah. we, that we mentioned. Um, but there's a difference between yeah. growth at any price and growth at a reasonable price. Mm-hmm. And that's how people break out the difference, as Joe said, between, say, the mega caps, some of the fang names, and then some of the in the cloud arc type names that might be more at risk, right? Right. And look, all you have to do is go back to February and March of this year and see when the 10 year yield was traded at a 1.7 handle and what happened to all of tech. So everything went down, even the cheapest stocks, Corvo, which is going to report it today, and Skyworks, they were down as much as the others on a percentage basis and, frankly, haven't recovered since then. So I do think it'll be an issue uh, for all of growth stocks, but that will be the opportunity in the reasonably priced ones. I don't think it will be an opportunity in the crowd strikes, et cetera, because of their highly inflated valuation. But I don't expect, I'm with John, I'm with the others, I don't expect Powell to say, look, if anything, the Fed's been very transparent, as Brenda said. You'd have to be living in the metaverse for the entire year not to know that they're going to <laughs> announce a tapering today. Right. But, but However, the, the taper, because uh, the, the issue is not so much the taper. Right. right. I mean, I think you I know, agree. For, the I agree. issue so, is is rate hike expectations being right. pulled forward by a year. People are already making those forecasts, right. so, whether it's Leesman's poll or Goldman Sachs. Right. You know, we're talking June or July of 2022. That's a whole different ballgame to where we were six months ago. Right. Exactly. And that's where I've been. So I've been looking for it to be pulled forward. What I do think Powell will do today is that he will give that additional nod that inflation is more persistent. And so I do think they have to go forward. And I do think they have to go earlier. They just won't do it today. The reason being, he's not going to compound the go slow approach by going, uh, you know, make it worse by doing both today. However, a quarter ba- a quarter point increase is not going to do anything in terms of tamping down inflation because money will still be essentially free. You need to see the supply chain loosen before that happens. That's not in, Fe- in the Fed's ballywick, of course. We're seeing some progress there. But once you do start and once you start messaging, if it happens in June, as I think it will happen, you're going to start seeing it after the beginning of the year, after the seasonal well, my, look, move, where the market, that my, segment's to be under pressure. My, my point is that the Fed wants to be able to dictate to the market what the schedule, quote unquote, is going to be. The right. Fed cannot afford to have the market dictate to it what it's going to have to do. And if you get into that environment, you're obviously going to have a more dramatic impact on some of the same types of technology stocks that we're talking about now if rates start to get away from the Fed. In the most perfect world, the Fed says, OK, we're tapering. Here's our expectation for rate hikes. Inflation, we still think it's for the most part transitory. And then the market behaves, mm-hmm. if you want to use that word. The alternate scenario, of course, is that the Fed's hand is forced by a more dramatic rise in rates and an even more dramatic and longer lasting rise in inflation, and then you have a more dramatic impact on the market. Joe, my question to you. You own Fortinet, you own DocuSign, Mm -hmm. okay? Fortinet, 106 times trailing, 75 times forward. DocuSign, 130 times forward. You feel comfortable owning these stocks today? More comfortable owning Fortinet. Uh, It's in the quality momentum index, and the free cash flow generation is the reason why. 
uh, they're able to see free cash flow generation above 20 percent not only in 2020 2021 and the expectation is in 22 and 23 they'll be able to do the same i need cybersecurity exposure i previously had crowdstrike i also had fortinet i stayed with fortinet specifically for the free cash flow generation docusign more concerned this is a more recent trade i was into that trade on October 18th at 263, I will not allow that to become a losing trade. They clearly will be vulnerable if Chairman Powell does not make the distinction. Two separate events, tapering, tightening, market expectation for when the first rate hike will occur is now pulled forward. The hypergrowth names will be challenged in that environment. And I'll tell you this, last Friday we rebalanced the, quarter, uh, the quality momentum index very happily, I'm out of Peloton, I'm out of Zillow, and I'm out of Zoom Communications because those type of equity names are squarely in the bullseye of an environment where rates get pulled forward. Well, Zillow has its own uh, issues, obviously, and it's down uh, by another large amount Ooh. today. I go back to what Brad Gerstner told us during our 10th anniversary week where we heard from some of the world's biggest and best investors about the NASDAQ needing to correct further in part because as rates go up, you have multiples going in the opposite direction. Uh, let's listen. All I would say is that the probabilities are, as the world normalizes, as rates normalize, multiples will likely revert closer to the mean. I don't know when that is. We don't call tops or bottoms. Um, but when that occurs, we've probably pulled forward 6, 12, 18 months worth of returns. It could simply mean that the Nasdaq goes sideways for a period of time, or it could mean that we have some air pockets along the way. Dr. J, um, those air pockets, are, are, are the, is the Fed the thing that initiates the air pocket? No. Um, ultimately, yes, Scott. Uh, the reason I said no at first is, that I don't think they will be, but they could because of their messaging. And again, that messaging, he has to do a real tightrope today between those bond vigilantes and getting reappointed. Um, if he goes too hard on either side of those, Scott, um, we could see that air pocket that Brad was talking about. I'm thinking that Jay Powell is a smart enough politician um, and has been in this seat for long enough that he will not make that mistake. But you know, uh, when, when you've got a live meeting like this where he's talking about what he's going to be doing and he has told us for months that basically November is live, we are going to see taper begin and he's going to make it, you know, pretty clear today is my belief, 99.9% chance December we start, it's going to be somewhere between 15 billion and perhaps as high as 20 billion on the taper, Scott. Again, if it's a lot more or a lot less than that, those kinds of messages to the market could cause those air pockets. I go back to, you know, again, the, the, the most important thing, perhaps, is whether the market lets Jay Powell um, have his way and his word uh, yeah. or if his hand is forced in, in some other way. I asked you guys to come up with some so-called taper picks. Uh, nobody picks technology, by the way, as I look at this list that you all put together no. for me. Brenda, <laughs> CME Group, J.P. Morgan. Um, Coinbase, you want to tell me why you think those three are the place to be in a new tapering world? 
Yeah, CME Group is one that people don't talk about very much, but they are this company is highly levered to interest rates rising because there's a lot of activity and volume that they will see as a result, not only of that, but also of commodity futures as well as cryptocurrency trends. So that one we like. Um, JP Morgan, it's had a really nice move here, but I think we're on the cusp of seeing uh, more growth um, in loan growth. The company really talked about that on their conference call just recently, seeing early signs uh, that credit card usage and uh, balances may start to rise and savings come down. Um, so that would certainly be a positive and that whole group would be a beneficiary of rates rising a little bit so they can collect higher spreads and net income margins would rise. Um, Coinbase, we think, is just uh, for those looking for an alternative to stocks and bonds, depending on the type of volatility we see as a result of interest rates rising, we think this is an interesting play, not only for that reason, but also just um, as the um, crypto ecosystem is more widely adopted. Um, and I think I think our traditional finance is going to eventually catch up and recognize that if they want to be relevant to the next generation, they're going to have to adopt some view of cryptocurrency and and facilitate um, uh, holding that and trading it in some way. Joe, why Edward Life Sciences and S&P Global? Well, I went back and I studied the prior taper uh, experience, and we don't have much uh, evidence other than what we had from uh, December of 2013 through October of 2014. The statistics are rather compelling. I think people forget about the performance of healthcare. The S&P during that 10-month period returned 9%. Healthcare actually gave you 21% during that period. Edwards Life Sciences was up a staggering 88%. So it's a very qualitative company that has experienced a little bit of disappointment in its recent earnings related to its cardiovascular business. Uh, I'm kind of buying into that opportunity where you've had disappointment in earnings and going along with the statistics that point towards healthcare outperforming in this environment. Financials returned you about 9%. S&P Global really speaks towards the value of what market intelligence is going to be looking forward in a tapering environment, whether it's understanding debt issuance, whether it's understanding uh, bank loans, or even the Platts franchise surrounding the commodity worlds that S&P Global has. So you have to study that body of experience. And one last point on that, Scott, not getting out of my Microsoft or my Apple technology, XLK returned you 13% during that time. And guess what? You got over 25% from Microsoft, Apple, and Facebook during the last taper experience in 2014. Well, that, again, that's why I do that separation thing that we talked about before. Yes. Growth at a reasonable price versus growth at any price. And, and that's, you know, maybe yes, the sir. line in the sand of, of what we need to watch. Hey, Weiss, uh, did you understand the question? Volkswagen, Porsche, and Moderna? I understand that's the, the question. That's, I... that's the best you could come up with for, uh, for taper picks? <laughs> Actually, Scott, the best I could come up with was the... What preceded that, which is I don't see the taper doing anything to my portfolio. It's been advertised, well advertised. So what your assumption is asking question is that's going to impact the market. Well, and I'm, I'm trying to prepare for not. something. I'm so, just trying yes, to prepare I in case the something questions. happens. Okay, well, and I'm telling you, the stocks that I have in my core portfolio are the stocks I have. They're long term. And yes, I think they'll do extraordinarily well through tapering. So... You question my response. I question your question. <laughs> All right. That's fair. I was just playing with you. Uh, Dr. J, financials, Morgan Stanley, Cap One and Square. 
Yeah, and Square, of course, you've heard me speak about it, how much I love that company, Scott. It gives you what Brenda's talking about with exposure to Bitcoin, um, because with their cash apps and so forth, they do that. They also give loans out, Scott, up to $250,000. And those loans, I believe, will uh, be paying higher interest rates in that taper, and that's more money to them versus, uh, you know, the basically the drag the credit card through their little square app. Morgan Stanley, well, trillion dollars uh, in assets. Um, I, I like that they've got exposure to rising interest rates in terms of margin interest, which, again, once you've got a, an account with margin available to you, there's no additional paperwork. It's not like filing for a loan. But if I could just jump to that one real quick, Scott, um, I've been seeing some unusual activity in Rocket today, RKT, and I suspect that's because in a rising rate environment, in other words, taper and rising rates, I think people might be pushed to do a little more in terms of refinancing in that environment. They've been lucky so far, and the rates have been low to virtually nil. Mm -hmm. And now if we start seeing that appreciation in rates, I think that drives more people to uh, the loan officers at places like Rocket, RKT. Yeah, Powell's really gone out of his way, too, to make this the most telegraphed taper of all time, which is perhaps why yes. Tom Lee is out today underscoring his year-end everything rally view, saying that tapering's not going to be a killer. It's certainly not a surprise. And we know from the market hitting new highs every day that risk is definitely uh, back on. And, and you see it in some of the riskier names, the same names that I mentioned at the very top of the program with the very high multiple or high price to sales are the ones that have done quite well lately. Josh highlighted some of these yesterday in the nice comeback that they've had. The question is, what now? When Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is taking a look at that broader question of how investor sentiment has gravitated back towards these more risky names. Mike? Yeah, it's got sentiment, positioning. It's been a pretty aggressive move in a relatively short period of time over the last 30 days. S&P up more than 8%. NASDAQ 100 up something like 11%. Uh, and small caps breaking out. The solar stock's up 20%. Tesla added a quarter trillion dollars in market cap in the last week and a half. So, yes, there has been a lot of uh, kind of aggressive, uh, you know, risk-seeking moves, I would call it out there. Now, on the one hand, this is very much part for the course. When you have a lot of house money built up in this market, it's it's been a great year, up 22, 23 percent in the S&P and in some of the more aggressive names like Tesla. Keep in mind, you know, this thing trades 40, 50 billion dollars a day. That means there's that much in the way of sellers on the way up. Uh, so therefore, it gets redeployed. Is it too much uh, for a short period of time? Maybe. But I think it's more of a reheating action than an overheating action at this point. Late in the year, beta outperforms. So the more volatile stocks tend to outperform. Small caps tend to outperform. And also NASDAQ 100. So it seems as if uh, it's going according to the script of what you might expect. Also, it's not necessarily clear that all of those frothy areas are going to their prior heights like we saw in January, February, whether it be SPACs, whether it even be individual names like GameStop and, and AMC and Bed Bath & Beyond. You see that they have these little spurts and they can't necessarily build on them. So uh, we've been able to drain some of the froth without the overall market really getting hurt. To me, the bottom line is 
seasonality is tough to fight. The seasonal bullish pattern is hard to fight late in the year unless you have tightening financial conditions, unless you have some kind of an adverse reaction to what the Fed is doing or the credit markets come under some stress. We're not seeing that right now. As you've been saying, you know, Powell's going to do everything he can to separate the tapering process from an eventual rate hike. And that's probably job one uh, of his press conference today. Do you feel like the whole thing is, is baked in as much as people say that it's just a yawn? and that the markets are cool with whatever happens today. I mean, the obvious activity in, in stocks and equities over the last you know, few weeks would suggest the answer is yes, unless everybody yeah. is simply too complacent about what a new environment is going to look like. In terms of the real-world effect of what tapering means, yes, it is a non-event. In my view, it probably uh, has gone on longer than most people thought it was net needed or appropriate or is doing any good. But... Are we just going into the meeting in an overbought condition with just being due for one of these little uh, shakeouts anyway, and therefore that's going to be the excuse? That might be the tactical question. Longer term, you know, the first rate hike is not the thing that kills a bull market ever. I mean, that's historically what it says. You get scares along the way. But even if we're, we're due for a rate hike in second half of next year, around mid-year, whatever it might be, it's probably going to seem incredibly appropriate and maybe even overdue based on what the economy is doing at that point. Yeah, appreciate it as always. Mike Santoli, our senior yeah. markets commentator. Let's hit a few moves before we take our first break. Weiss, um, XPO is getting hammered today. Um, and you, you've talked about mm-hmm. this position. I'm looking at it in, in real time. You've talked about it, this position like 650 times on this show. It's down more than 9% now. That looks like the lows of the day to me. What are you doing? Now, 601 times, Scott, to be precise. Look, I added to it. The management, it was not a good quarter. It was a good overall quarter. But in the LTL space, they were unique in the industry in missing it. Their costs went up. They didn't get what was going on. They've got a plan to fix it. I don't think it's done. I do think they'll recover. But I think it's going to take a little bit of time. So... Good thing they split off GXO because they had a phenomenal quarter. But I did buy a little more down here to top up a what is a core position. We'll see how long I stay with that trading position, but I'm not going to be very patient. I will be patient with the core position. You also sold uh, your Tesla calls, which you've been, you know, I guess in and out of over the last couple of weeks as we've watched uh, that stock just go parabolic uh, over, you know, the last month, if yeah. not more. Yeah. So if you recall why I bought them, I bought them because the momentum in the fundamentals was being matched with momentum in the stock price. And it was just a trade. I'd sold three quarters of them, much lower. But I sold the rest yesterday when the momentum started to really break. So I'm out. It was momentum trade. You got to go when the momentum stops. I got you. Okay. Uh, Speaking of momentum uh, and quality, Joe, uh, your ETF, you sold Generac Mm -hmm. and the Russian ETF, the RSX. Can you tell me quickly about both? Yeah, Bill. The RSX was a way to get exposure to the European gas crisis. I, I really said to myself the last couple of days, why am I wasting my time here? Again, studying the taper experience, energy during that period was down 1%. And remember, the price of oil went from 107 in July of 2014 down to 52 by the end of tapering. So I'm out of that one. Generac's been a great trade for me. Generac I bought back in June below $400. But unfortunately, you've got EBITDA margins, which are contracting here. Revenue missed, so it was time to ring the register on what is a very quality company. I would reload if we see further uh, price deterioration. All right, thanks for that. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Chinese tech stocks, they've been battered in the past six months, but now a new call says the, talks, uh, the, talk, the stocks are too important to be ignored. We'll debate that in our call of the day. And before we do go to break, check out shares of Allbirds soaring on the public debut today. There's the stock up 
near 70%. We're back on the half in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Kids aged 5 to 11 are getting their COVID shots. Ten-year-old Mackenzie Olson was the first to get vaccinated at this facility in Decatur, Georgia. The federal government is promising there will be enough vaccine for the 28 million additional children who can now get vaccinated. On the news, who's rushing to get their kids vaccinated, but who's holding back? That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Multiple reports say Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers has tested positive for COVID and will not play this week. The NFL Network says Rodgers is not vaccinated and will have to quarantine for 10 days. And that puts him in danger of missing next week's game as well. Neither the Packers nor Rodgers' agent has confirmed the positive test. Conservative Supreme Court justices showing concern that a broad ruling in favor of gun rights could trigger restrictions on firearms, especially where people gather. The high court is hearing a case on whether New York's restrictive gun permit law violates Second Amendment rights. You are up to date, Scott. That's the news update. Back to you. All right, Sue, appreciate it very much. Thank you. All right. A bullish call on China's tech stocks today. Barclays has initiated a bunch of names. Their top pick is Alibaba. Again, as, as I, you may have heard me say before the break, they say these stocks are simply too important to be ignored. You know, Weiss, you, you've owned some of these names. You, you sold out, I think, of all of them. but You've shorted some. What about this? Too important to be ignored? Is, is that true? Too important to who? Too important to his career because he follows them. But I don't think they're too important to anybody else. <laughs> uh, look, I covered them pretty much, pretty much at the bottom. And I think the risks still remain. So can the stocks go higher? Yes, that's why I covered when I did. But I think that their rentals, their trades, that's it. You still have the major, major issues, and there's no way to quantify those risks. And it's insane to try and value these on a relative basis to U.S. tech companies or any other region where you actually have democracy and free capitalism. So own them at your own risk. Yeah, you can make a little dough, but you can lose a lot more than you can make at this point. Brenda, too important to be ignored. 
or simply too risky? Yeah, we think, you know, in our view, uh, the Chinese government is still very committed to supporting the growth of private companies um, and sees that as a major growth driver for their economy going forward. So we don't think um, that this is going to continue forevermore, although it probably will, ahead of the communist meeting next uh, next year. Um, however, we still think in this world where valuations are extended for a lot of fast-growing tech companies in the United States, that this is an area that does present um, some opportunity here. Although I'll say, size it appropriately given the risks. Um, so we don't think it, uh, you eliminate it entirely. Um, but I think having some exposure here makes a lot of sense. Playing it through options is, is a way, John, that Pete has told us he wouldn't even own these stocks, but through, as, as Weiss said, for a, for a trade or for trades, plural, that use options, and that's what you're, you're doing in, in at least one or two of these names, right? Yeah, right now I've only got B-E-K-E, Scott, um, which is in the housing sector, tech side of housing over in China. Um, that's the only way right now I would play it. I don't see people in here buying large blocks of uh, stock. I do see them speculating on calls. Um, and to that extent, I've got just one of those many stocks that we could pick on, you know, from um, Billy to PDD to Alibaba and Tencent. Um, I've only got one of them in there, Scott, and that's just because China has just gone after these companies. Education, they started there and then they just kept hitting them. Um, so I think it's the, it is the best way because you can define your risk on entry with an option spread. And that's the only way I'd play it. I would not own these stocks here. All right. Coming up, a fast-growing coffee company that focuses on military veterans is going public via a SPAC deal. We've got an exclusive now with the man leading that effort. We're going to ask him whether past political headlines will help or hurt that business. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. Black Rifle Coffee Company, which focuses on military vets going public in a $1.7 billion SPAC deal. Leslie Picker has an exclusive interview for us today and joins us right now. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Scott. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm joined by Joe Reese. He is the co-founder, the SPAC sponsor, uh, Silverbox Capital. Joe, thank you very much for being here. Uh, so interesting acquisition with Black Rifle. This is a company, as a, a recent New York Times Magazine article put it, they say that Black Rifle became the unofficial coffee of the MAGA universe. It's recently drawn a lot of controversy uh, from publishing a blog post that supported then-President Trump's Muslim immigration ban. Uh, it has had a lot of reputational scrutiny and headlines related to its merchandise, which was captured in photos at the Capitol on January 6th, as well as on Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with killing two people at a Black Lives Matter protest. He wore a Black Rifle T-shirt when released on bail. Why are you investing in this company despite all of these headlines? 
Well, first, Leslie and Scott, great to see you. It's always good to spend time together, so thanks for having me on. Let's step back and talk a little bit about what Black Rifle Coffee Company actually is and what it isn't. And then to answer your question specifically, why we at Silverbox Engage decided to invest in it. Black Rifle Coffee Company at its core is a extremely high growth, mission-driven coffee company serving premium coffee and merchandise to a very loyal set of customers. What it is not is a company that has any political affiliation. It's not a company that sells or promotes firearms. It's literally a high growth, high quality coffee company. Then when we think about why we invested in it, Leslie, the question you asked, there's three things I think that often get lost in this, this, er, this era we live in. There's this urge to label. First, this is a rapidly growing financially sound organization that we found quite compelling from a shareholder return perspective. Second, it's a digitally native omni-channel business with expansive white space and great growth opportunities. And then finally, the mission to improve and support the lives of veterans, first responders, and the military, we just found that pretty compelling, which is why my partners and I at Silverbox Engaged are going to donate over $4 million to their foundation. I understand, uh, you know, when you look at the financials and, and the prospects for growth here. However, I, I wonder when you say that they're not a promotional vehicle for firearms. I mean, they have coffee names like the AK-47 and the Silencer Smooth. They have been participants, whether willingly or unwillingly, unwillingly in a variety of political issues and, and polarization in this country. Um, you know, you're, you're basically, are you worried that you're putting your money behind something that is more than that, that is a political statement? You know, so let's talk about the name of the company, because I think that's a good summation of what how the company got started. I, I actually think when you think about uh, Evan, the founder of the company, I think his story is an inspirational one for everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter what aisle, side of the aisle you sit on. I'm a Dixiecrat or a Rockefeller Republican, and I think about Evan and what he's done. Here's a young man who joined the Army, uh, became a Green Beret, did multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and decided, hey, I'm going to come home. I'm going to start a great coffee company, and I'm, I'm going to create value, but I'm also going to serve my community. I'm going to hire veterans. You know, he's publicly stated he wants to hire 10,000 veterans. I think he might. Uh, half of our employees, half of the company's employees now are veterans or spouses. And that's, that's a community that's historically been very underserved. Uh, and so Black Rifle, the name. That's the name that uh, the founders, Evan in particular, the tool that he carried in service to his country in Afghanistan and Iraq and other spots was a black rifle. It, it doesn't mean we're selling firearms. We're selling really good coffee and really fun merchandise. I'm curious if this SPAC was negotiated before the Digital World Acquisition Corp SPAC that uh, agreed to acquire Trump's planned media and technology company. That stock has seen a tremendous run, although some volatility as well. Uh, you know, was that a signal that kind of uh, this community, the, the more right leaning uh, political bend uh, could find opportunity in the SPAC world? Well, so... I'm not a market timer or a trader. I'm an investor, as you know, Leslie. So we started diligencing this company in June. We spent over four months exhaustively looking at the financial statements, the business practices, the quality of management, the operations, the growth potential. Uh, the timing of that SPAC and our announcement was purely serendipitous. It had nothing to do with it. And as it relates to, oh, a, a company that might take advantage of the right, I, I think that's wrong in that I think about our customer base. 
two of our three largest um, SMSAs for our direct-to-consumer business. The first is New York City, and the third is Los Angeles, two cities that you know I live in. I wouldn't call those right-leaning. I'd call those uh, center-left. So this is, an, this is America's coffee company. This is, I, I saw an article yesterday that made me laugh. It said, oh, Black Rifle wants to be the right-wing coffee company. Actually, we don't. What Evan and the team want, they want to serve great coffee to every American. It really doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on, because the more, the better that they can do for their shareholders in creating a sustainable, well-run brand, the better he can ultimately serve the mission of supporting veterans and first responders. Um, I'm curious how you arrived at the $1.7 billion valuation for the SPAC. Uh, Starbucks is currently trading at 4.6 times its 2021 estimated price to sales. The presentation estimates Black Rifle will bring in about $230 million in sales this year, a multiple of 7.4 times. So a very significant premium to Starbucks. Uh, how did you get to that number? Good question. Uh, we priced it off of 22 and 23 revenues, and we looked at comparables like Dutch Brothers, uh, Peloton, Oatly, other high growth uh, consumer subscription type businesses. And when we looked at those businesses, we're pricing it at five and a half times 2022 revenue and seven times 2023 revenue. Uh, uh, excuse me, four times, apologies, five and a half times 22 and four times 2023. Markedly below all of the comps that we looked at. And when we thought about the growth opportunity and the white space that Black Rifle has versus any other competitor, we felt that it was a pretty compelling valuation. And look, valuation's a moment in time. Uh, we were pleased yesterday with how the stock performed. But if you ask Evan and Tom and the rest of the management team, they're more focused on building a company that's sustainable and will create longer-term value for shareholders. Uh, but we think as a, as a moment in time, which valuation is today, we think it was valued appropriately to enter the public markets. And I think the stock market performance would indicate that. All right, Joe Reese, Silverbox Capital co-founder, uh, thank you very much for being here discussing you. your recent deal to acquire Black Rifle. We appreciate it. Thank you, Leslie. Scott, back over to you. All right, Les, appreciate it, Joe. Appreciate you being on the program as well. Coming up, don't miss John Nigerian's latest trades in unusual activity. That's coming up next. And today at 3.30 Eastern, do not miss a new CNBC Pro Talk with the Satori Fund's Dan Niles and CNBC's Deirdre Bosa. For details, go to CNBC.com slash ProTalks. Halftime is back right after this. All right, Doc, unusual activity. What do you see today? All right, Scott. Uh, in addition to that rocket, uh, we also see IAA. Uh, this is an auto auction company and it's trading at about fifty five and a half dollars a share. We see big buying in the April 60 calls of 2022, Scott. So this one's got plenty of time. I bought a spread basically buying the 55s and selling an upside call against them. I'll probably be in that trade for several months. Second trade, Denimer Scientific, DNMR. Uh, this one shorter term trade, much shorter. In fact, these options expire next Friday. They're buying the November 20 calls. That's with the stock at about 1890, Scott. Like the upside here, it's an alternative um, to uh, petroleum-based products for things like straws and cups and things like that. Uh, I like this one a lot. I'll be in that one about a week. All right, Doc, we appreciate that. Coming up, retail. Many stocks trading at record highs. The index itself is new high for the first time since all the way back in January. You wouldn't believe some of the gains in the space. 
Some of the desk owns it as well. We'll talk about it next. All right, the retail ETF is on a big run. The XRT hitting a new all-time high today for the first time since all the way back in January. Steve Weiss, Dick Sporting Goods, talked about it a lot. I know you still own it, up 134% year-to-date. Many stocks on my list in that space are hitting new 52-week highs. Do you stay or do you take some profits here? No, you stay, and it's still very cheap, 10 times earnings. They signed a great agreement with Nike, basically a partnership on their membership where Dick's can get preferential uh, call on new product, and they're also able to design their own product, and you can order from Nike from the Dick's apps. So a great joint venture here. So, yes, I love it. I think it would be a solid quarter. For I, know, I know you also own Target. Doc, you do as well. Um, obviously, you know, Pete's owned it for an awfully long time, and, and maybe you guys have owned it along yeah. the same time frame. Uh, it's up 46% year-to-date. I've got Macy's 171. I've got Dillard's 355, BJ's Wholesale, Kohl's, Urban Outfitters. Same question I asked Weiss. I mean, do you stay with these moves, or, or do you have to take some profits? Well, um, those names, most of them on that list, Scott, you stick with. Uh, we had a couple big ones that popped today, Capri Holdings, CPRI, um, as well as Bed Bath & Beyond. Both of those had monster pops just in the last 24 hours. And those, I think, you take some back. You uh, basically take some off the table, maybe 50% or more. But the rest of those, Target in particular, Walmart, you hold them into the a holiday on Black Friday, at least. Yeah, that Dillard's uh, move, a new record high today for that one, new 52-week for Signet, new 52-week for Macy's. It's been quite a run in retail. We're back after this with Final Trades. All right, we're going to get to Final Trades in two seconds. First, though, there's Corvo. I show it because it reports earnings after the bell. Steve Weiss, you own it. What's your outlook here? Uh, has not done well over the past few months. It's up uh, 2%, obviously, today. And uh, over the last 12 months, <clears throat> excuse me, about a 36.5% winner. So what, uh, what's your outlook here? I'm going to include Skyworks because I won't be in the show tomorrow. They report tomorrow night. It's the same thing. Look, I'm a little skittish, and I had cut back my position months ago, actually. But I'm skittish because of the Apple quarter. So if one component misses out of uh, many, many that go into the phone, it backs up the whole chain. And that includes Corvo and Skyworks. If, it get, if they get hit this quarter... I am in going back into a full position because seasonally you want to own these from January on, particularly as the supply chain eases up. So, look, don't know this quarter. Think it could be squishy, but the future looks extremely bright. Okay, give, give me a quick final trade name, please. Just a name. NVIDIA. I bought the calls on, on Monday. Okay, Doc? Dollar Tree, DLTR. All right, Brenda? Uh, Merck. Well, you could give me more than a name because you didn't take up all the time previously, but that's all right. Self-time earnings, lots of reasons to be excited about. All right, Joe, what do you got? <laughs> CGen breaking out post-earnings. Uh, all right. Big afternoon coming up about an hour away from that. In the meantime, the exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.